Hey everyone, and welcome to the Wanna Puff Podcast, your trusted source for all things cannabis in the Canadian retail market. I'm Steve, your host, and today is a special 420 episode on the future of retail cannabis in Canada. We'll be talking about ideas of where we think cannabis industry will go as the opinions on cannabis change. But there are two great partnerships we should talk about first. You've probably heard of Dachi, or maybe even used their in-store or online menus. But did you know that they've partnered with The Last Prisoner Project and are matching up to $1 million in donations? The Last Prisoner Project is a non-profit organization dedicated to cannabis criminal justice reform. Founded in 2019 in the belief that if anyone is able to profit in the legal cannabis industry, those individuals must also work to release and rebuild the lives of those who have suffered from cannabis criminalization. Check out Dutchie's partnership with The Last Prisoner Project by following Dutchie on Instagram. That's not the only partnership focused on change. The Toki Fellowship brings together Aurora Cannabis, Toki Batteries, and Cannabis Amnesty. Cannabis Amnesty is an independent, not-for-profit organization dedicated to righting the wrongs caused by cannabis criminalization here in Canada. It is estimated that over 500,000 Canadians have records for cannabis-related offences, and since 2019, when the government passed Bill C-93 to provide expedited pardons for simple possession, less than 500 pardons have been granted. You can learn more at CannabisAmnesty.ca. Well then, let's spark up this conversation and get right into it. Joining us for today's episode, we have Ryder. Ryder works at a local dispensary here in Calgary. Why don't you introduce yourself and tell us about how you got started working in cannabis? Hey everyone, my name's Ryder. I joined the cannabis industry about a year ago last month as a supervisor at a cannabis retail store. I was previously working as an insurance advisor and I wanted to transfer my skills into this new industry that I not only have a personal interest in already, but also wanted to catch it early enough while everything is still just taking off. Yeah, I really like that about the industry is that you meet people who have come from like so many different backgrounds. They're they're not coming from everybody in the in the same place. It's not um, alcohol and tobacco. Like I think that the uh, like like people would would believe other regulated industries. I uh, I came from hospitality, and and a lot of the people who I've worked with came from industries that uh, that range from uh, insurance to uh, to hospitality um, to car salesmen. Um, it, it's really cool working in cannabis because it's such a new industry. You're not really fighting for your for your spot in the way that you are in other places. Yeah, it's fun to be a part of something new in that way for sure. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you, Roger, for uh, for joining us today. And, and thank you all for tuning in for this special 420 episode, The Future of Cannabis Beyond Legalization. Cannabis was legalized in 2018. And I mean, we've come a long way, but compared to alcohol or even tobacco, we've got a long way to go. I think one of the areas we've got a long way to go in is cannabis lounges. Um, When it comes to edibles and beverages, these products are prepackaged. Do you think these products could be sold in restaurants or cannabis lounges without the concern of infusing other products unintentionally? Just because of how well they package and separate doses and the fact that we have um, a strict dose limit uh, per package, I think that that would be completely safe without any real worries other than maybe in restaurants versus a cannabis-only lounge where there might be mixing of different products. Yeah, I mean, I... I Definitely agree. I think when it comes to restaurants and in places where you're selling alcohol, um, it may be a concern. But uh, if you had a cannabis specific lounge um, where, where products are prepackaged like this, uh, it, it would really reduce the level of risk for sure. Oh, and even with those specifically dosed powders, flavor shots, things like that, it opens up for cannabis lounges to create beverages and food items and things in the same way that restaurants can without that worry. 
Speaking of uh, those sublinguals and, and those powders, do you think that uh, the current demand for those products would um, really be increased if, if cannabis lounges were selling those products? Absolutely. I also think that we could see more chocolates, more baked goods and things taking off like traditional, uh, like the traditional values to edibles and everything, just because with uh, the way that things have gone, there's a lot of gummies, a lot of candies and pop, and it'd be interesting to see things go that other way as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, it would really be interesting to see if the lounges were to allow um, smoking of cannabis. I mean, you can't smoke. Um, I mean, aside from like shisha bars, you, you, you can't really smoke inside of establishments. So I wonder if those cannabis lounges, if they did become available, um, would only allow smoking, only allow vaping or only allow um, consumable cannabis products that, that aren't uh, that aren't inhalables. That's funny that you bring up the hookah lounge. That's one thing that I was thinking about a lot on this topic. Uh, when it comes to those, it makes me wonder if we're going to see a bit of a return to an indoor smoking style um, establishment made just for uh, cannabis. Uh, subsequently, maybe that would look like a lot of smoking and vaping indoors as well as beverages, or perhaps even a patio or outdoor setting that would allow for the smoking and vaping while the inside could be used for more of that sit down and relaxation experience more akin to restaurants. Yeah, I think that that would be a much more suitable uh, approach when it comes to uh, when it comes to the edibles and, and when it comes to smoking, um, especially since these lounges, I think, would be a good setting for for new consumers. I mean, cannabis can be intimidating. And if you're a new consumer who's who's never had the opportunity to uh, to smoke with friends or or uh, for that kind of safe space to smoke in, um, I, I think that these lounges would, would really uh, present that opportunity. Oh, after serving customers in, in store, uh, it's, and though it is so much fun to show them the wonderful new legal side of cannabis that should have existed forever, um, it's fun to show that the nouveau drug dealer is a kind and caring store clerk, but this type of uh, environment would be even more um, adaptable for some people that still have little worries and holdbacks about coming into a cannabis shop, as I've seen. Yeah, definitely. I think that, um, I mean, they definitely come into the store, um, but we're not able to, to guide the experience um, for when they're smoking. Uh, and so um, it, it would just, I think, I think in, in that space, I, I think that that's where uh, the lounges um, could, could really attract new consumers. Um, but but I, I definitely agree uh, the the stores don't uh, don't deter any new consumers uh, by any means. Yeah, it would be definitely fun to be there with the client as they're having their experience rather than just sending them on their way and hoping the best. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, now, something else that we noticed in, in the beginning of uh, just before legalization actually was um, cannabis brands were sponsoring events uh, across the country. But when the government changed the rules uh, and, and allowed for the sale of cannabis, they didn't allow for the promotion, which um, meant that these events could no longer uh, be available. Uh, do you think that, that this could eventually come back? I, I do. I, I, this is interesting just because, you know, we've seen a lot all tobacco companies aren't allowed to advertise in the same ways that they previously are, but a lot of alcohol companies are. So seeing as with, you know, the comparable dangers and everything, hopefully we will see a return in the ability for companies to uh, sponsor events like that. What a great way uh, for them to have a proving ground and, and somewhere for them to obtain a new customer base and also just through word of mouth knowledge. Yeah, I think that when it comes to like big brands, I, I think that, uh, that your reference to tobacco is is um, where, where my head goes is it's like tobacco is not allowed to do these things. Alcohol is allowed to do these things. Um, so, so where do we fit in between? Um, but I think that when you're a large company in, in the cannabis space, it's not just about marketing. It's about giving back to the community. It's about um, holding those events and, and 
um, and, and sponsoring those events so that those events can happen. Um, because remember, if, if we don't have these large sponsors, those events don't, don't happen. Um, so I, I'd like to see them come back. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so something we do see at cannabis fe- or at other festivals and events are uh, are cannabis tents now. Um, cannabis tents are, are places where you can consume cannabis, but you're unable to purchase cannabis. Um, do you think that cannabis should be for sale at this at these types of events? And if so, do you think it should be limited to like pre rolls and edibles, or or should it just kind of be uh, the Wild West? You you know I think it's kind of that middle ground between Wild West and and you know being very very strict with that just because there's similar events that serve alcohol for consumption in specific areas um, I think that it would be more than acceptable to have somewhere to smoke to vape as well as that separate little area to pick up your beverages maybe maybe some edibles and again what a great place for marketing for companies in the in that exact same way yeah yeah if if they can't sponsor the event um, completely um, they should be able to sponsor the tent. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of tents and, and, and sponsorships, uh, weddings and other personal events can have liquor licenses to sell liquor. Do you think this should be available to cannabis as well? Yeah, absolutely. I do believe that there should be a little bit of a um, a little bit of a mix in terms of the the safe checks that that we would need. Maybe for say like weddings, uh, you'd need to ensure that you have an 18 plus guest list or it's limited to uh, child childless um, people coming, um, age control events where a safe check like needing security for events, like if it were a convention or something like that to ensure that it was an age controlled event. I think that these things would be should be allowed. Yeah, um, I think it goes back to the packaging. Um, so long as the products are packaged and, and clearly labeled and, and they're, they're safe sealed with that childproof packaging and that you're, you're purchasing it in that format, um, th- there should be no reason that, that we shouldn't be able to, uh, to have um, these, these uh, weddings and, and other personal events um, receive these kinds of licenses. Yeah, and even maybe if in the same way that you need a bartender at certain weddings, maybe you need a bud tender or this service should be provided by a shop or a specific vendor just to ensure that uh, rules are being adhered to. Yeah, and that, that would open up more opportunity for uh, for people to to open up these kinds of businesses. Um, and, and that's um, one of the other reasons why cannabis was legalized in order to take away those businesses from the black market. Um, so that, that would be great to see. Yes, absolutely. So another change that I think needs to come on the on the legal market is the 10 milligram package per um, package. It should be per piece or or, um, or even larger per piece, but it shouldn't be a package limit. Um, do you think that the 10 milligram package is, is necessary or do you think that it should be a, a per piece limit? I think that it's necessary. I think that the white market is unfortunately losing a little bit of business to the black market because of that. I think uh, increasing those limits uh, in that edible section would allow the edible industry as a whole just to take off more than it has currently due to people understanding how low the doses are and the fact that there are still other options unfortunately in the gray market that they may take otherwise yeah i agree i think that um i go back to the to the intent of the legalization and 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 it was to disrupt the the illegal market and um you're not disrupting the illegal market when the per package limit is is 10 milligrams and and your uh, customer who's looking to consume maybe their average dose on, on the illegal market has to have 10 packages or more. Um, not disruptive at all. <laughs> no, and the price to the consumer is another thing within that too. Yeah, I agree. Um, when it comes to the price, it's, it's like it would cost the brand the same amount of money to ship five two milligram edibles as it would to co- for them to ship five 10 milligram edibles. So it's like, would the brand pass that price 
reduction onto the consumer? I would think that it, it, it would probably positively affect the consumer, but this would also be a little bit after the consumer was able to learn that fact and subsequently like create that demand again for the lower pricing. I think any company is going to do what they can to make as much off of those increased edible sales to start as possible. Yeah, kind of how we've seen everything else in cannabis, really uh, high price when you're first to market and then, uh, and then a race to the bottom. Um, so hopefully that would, that would follow with the, uh, with the change in edibles. Yeah. Great analogy there. Um, so customers are only able to purchase 30 grams of cannabis per transaction, but no limits are placed on tobacco or liquor. Does this restriction need to be changed or removed? Or is this something that's necessary in order to prevent cannabis being moved on the black market? Well, I'm, I'm absolutely open to people correcting me or providing me other examples, but just in my own experience, I really haven't seen an issue when it comes to, or I, I don't see any possible issues for somebody if they were to take over what the current limit is. I think they should at least allow for like double that limit to, to 60 grams, you know, the two, just a bit over two ounces. I think that would be beneficial to sales. And I think that may be a reason why companies might actually push for such as well, especially with the way that drinks and everything are, are weighed and, and, uh, um, and allotted for how much it takes out of your uh, cannabis allowance. Yeah, I, I think that, yeah, I agree. For the most part, I don't find that the 30 gram limit gets in my way. I find that when it does, I'm kind of confused by the inconvenience because I don't see what it's protecting. It's I think you're not really protecting the movement of black market cannabis or, or the sale of black market cannabis because of the, the other levels of, of regulation and restriction that are in place. And, and there is no restriction on, on the amount of alcohol that you can move or no restriction on the amount of tobacco that you can, uh, that you can purchase. Exactly. Yeah. It's um, it's an unfair double standard. Yeah. And, and it's, it's kind of reminiscent of, of the, uh, of the pre-legalization days, you know, the, the stigma still remains. And again, I just can't get over uh, how many how many more sales I may have been able to tag on, or how many sales companies have lost out on that they would have been able to you know explore because of that. And usually over like two grams in, in dried cannabis equivalency, it, it's usually not um, like like forty grams or, or more. It's usually like thirty four grams or, or thirty six grams that the customer's looking to purchase. Exactly. I need a little bit of chocolate and maybe a pop to go along with my ounce. Yep. And because I had five beverages, I can't have anything else. Who's heard of a five pack? Right, right. Exactly. Um, so speaking about packaging, uh, the rules around packaging have created a large amount of waste. Uh, should the restrictions instead remove the use of single use plastic, something that we see with uh, with the plastic straws and in plastic bags um, or other non reusable material um, or encourage the reduced packaging and biodegradable materials? Absolutely. I think that we should encourage a, a reduction in just the amount of materials. Now, I, I don't only see it myself, but you hear customers discuss the possible reasons or the needs to have single chocolates packaged separately inside the overall packaging. It's just wasteful. And, and the fact is the recycling programs have either been stopped in a lot of cases or they're just not being adhered to. And, uh, you know, the receptacles in the stores aren't being cleared out. Right. So. Yeah, and, and customers have to return to the store with their with their waste in order to use those receptacles. They're not allowed to open their cannabis inside of the store, even if they're looking to just dispose of the uh, the excess packaging. Um, now, do you think customers should be able to, to open their package inside of the store in order to uh, for the purpose of recycling or, or, or getting rid of waste? That's funny. I've thought about that a lot because never once have I walked up, walked through the liquor store and on my way out cracked open my beer. But as a cigarette smoker, I do often open and dispose of the the internal contents of the package 
packaging on my way out of the store using their garbage. And it's really hard to tell clients that they can't do the same in the store that I've worked in. Um, it's just as previously discussed with those recycling programs. They may, may have an even greater need and subsequently cause less of a carbon impact if people are not only using those receptacles, but then those programs start up again and people are collecting those recyclings. Yeah, it, it, I think that the the recycling when it comes to those those boxes at the store, it, like you say, like it's great if, if everything um, follows the the steps in the process. But uh, um, if 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 we're just collecting it and then um, it's not it's not making its way through the through the recycling program, then um, we're just kind of wasting time, I guess. Yeah, absolutely, and and subsequently also just affecting the earth a little bit negatively, which I think we can all agree if, if, if it's helpable or if we can help it, we don't need to do it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So outside of events hosted by the, uh, the Nomad Cook, cannabis edibles are only available at, at prepackaged products. Um, do you think bakeries and, and coffee shops uh, exclusively providing adjustable cannabis uh, will eventually be made available? Oh, just speaking more about those baked goods and chocolates versus gummies earlier, I think this uh, creating these environments to people that have maybe only enjoyed alcohol previously or maybe in those demographics that may be scared previously of, and, and we want those people to be able to enjoy a less invasive and harmful substance and this may allow us to have that while also being able to enjoy a classic outing like coffee and tea and a biscuit with grandma yeah beverages currently offered range from non-alcoholic beer sparkling water juices and more with the selection available now, do you think retailers will eventually need refrigeration space more similar to what we see in like liquor stores or convenience stores? I think when we get that eventual push um, and kind of renewed interest in that edible um, section, as we were talking about before, I think we'll definitely see an increase in the need for some fridge size just because of the amount of different drinks that may become available. Um, but I also would think that if cannabis lounges became more of a thing, I think we would see that type of setup more there where you'd be able to go and pick up your six pack or take home something just in the same way that you may at the brewery when you're out there for dinner and grabbing a drink there. Yeah, that, that would be great um, if, if they had that um, kind of a selection that would be specific more to the area, and that way you wouldn't need so much at each local cannabis store. Um, but another thing I think they could do is uh, have CBD products not restricted in the same way that we have um, THC products. I mean, topicals, edibles, and beverages con containing trace amounts of THC are still restricted in the same way as THC products are. Do you think eventually that will change? I hope so. Like one thing that I've noticed is certain CBD products, some uh, uh, like certain quattros, um, due to using isolates or due to being able to actually section away so heavily those small amounts of THC to the degree that it won't even show up on a drug test as some companies testify, we probably should eliminate that restriction. Also knowing that CBD can eliminate those psychoactive effects of THC. And I mean, some containers of CBD beverages and stuff don't even have a THC warning on them because of this. Yeah, I think at a certain threshold, they don't have to have the uh, the duty the duty paid sticker, um, which is indicating that uh, that THC presence. Um, and I mean, even customers when they come in and, and they're looking for CBD products, they're often more directed towards health and wellness. Um, but in store, we're, we're not even allowed to discuss those topics. Uh, could CBD be made available maybe more in a pharmaceutical setting, like a shopper's drug mart or, or somewhere where there's uh, somebody who's already having those discussions? 
Yeah, absolutely. I do, I do believe that. But also within that, maybe we should allow or encourage, maybe even require some sort of knowledge training and further certification ability to the bud tenders and cannabis workers, just so that we might be able to lightly discuss these areas without having to skirt around the truth and also not to have to try to explain things in a roundabout way to the client. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of customers that I've experienced uh, in, in my time in store um, where they're looking to have a conversation about uh, things that they've read online or or um, or things that, uh, that that we can't verify. Um, and, and so we have to tell them that, uh, that to do your own research or, or to talk to a health professional. And um, I, I would be much more comfortable if, if the health professional was there and, and that was the person who they were making the purchase from. Yeah, I've said... I cannot confirm or deny so many times that sometimes I mess it up now. Yeah, right. Um, and I think with that, it, it just wraps it up for today. Uh, thank you, Ryder, for joining us for today's episode. The industry has a long way to go, um, but all things considered, I, I think we're going in the right direction. Thanks for having me, Steve. It's really, really fun to explore this industry, and it's also really fun to be a part of something new like your podcast. So thanks for having me again. Awesome. I'm, I'm sure we'll have a, a conversation again in the future um, and have you come on the podcast again. Uh, and remember, if you're enjoying the content that we're bringing to you, don't forget, like, subscribe, and comment on Spotify, Apple Music, and Instagram. Because what else would you want to do?